Amen. Good morning. It's great to see all of you again. Um, I did want to clarify or just uh, re reemphasize. So we're gonna have we haven't had midweek in like nine weeks. So our, our normal midweek kind of services we we typically do on a Wednesday, and the whole church will get together uh, as a congregation. Sometimes we'll meet as family groups. Uh, this Wednesday is going to be our first like congregational midweek that we've had in nine weeks' time. It's a long time to, to not be doing that, but it's going to be great to come together at the Leaps House and have a great dinner together. Uh, I really hope that you know all the members, everybody can, can be there and, and be a part of that, just uh, coming back together as a family, celebrating that time again. So uh, before we jump into the sermon, why don't we go ahead and pray? Let's pray together. Father, I, uh, I come before you, Dad, and I just pray and ask you to be with, with me this morning. Pray that I can be in step with your Spirit, God. I pray that my, my mind can be clear um, of trouble, anxiety, whatever is upon my heart, God, that you would help me be focused and in step with you this morning. Pray that I can clearly uh, articulate your word to be an instrument of your will to be uh, in step and in tune with uh, your desire and, and the, the harmony with your spirit, O oh God. <clears throat> Pray that your word would powerfully affect all of us this morning. Pray that we can look uh, and, and examine ourselves and even what we know uh, about your word and who you are. But we come and we give thanks to you and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be kind of going between some of the, uh, going through kind of an account and, and looking at Jesus and the Apostle Peter's interaction. And, and looking at an account and trying to put ourselves in it and figure out what we can learn from it. But to do that, what I'd like to do is take a, a broader look at this story. All right? <clears throat> Doing our best, my, my goal is to help do my best to help all of us be a part of that passage. <clears throat> I've got something in my throat, so excuse me. But So to do that, though, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us some context. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 16, and we will get there. But I want to create the background for the story that we're about to see. Right? As our story, let's look at it this way. It starts with a young man known by the name of Jesus. He's grown up in this odd backwater provincial town called Nazareth, trained mainly by his dad as a carpenter and a mason. He is not a scholar, at least not trained as one. And though untrained... Around the age of 30, this man begins to travel and preach. He begins teaching as a rabbi. He is a remarkable speaker. Speaking with authority unlike any other rabbis, he begins to perform miracles while he preaches. He's preaching these powerful sermons about the coming of God's prophesied kingdom. Traveling around Israel, he begins to accumulate a few particularly devoted followers, like any rabbi would. 
He's so effective, though, that in a short time, with his speaking and through his miracles, we soon see hundreds and even thousands of people begin to follow him. Literally running in crowds to go and hear him speak. And from the beginning of his ministry, as I said, he's, he's been preaching of this kingdom. This kingdom of God, which these Jewish people would know very well. Because they have been expecting for hundreds of years a Messiah to come. A, a Christ, the King, who would come. And, and what he would do is he would establish a kingdom that would kick out the usurpers. And these Jews are living in a time where they're being overrun and, and oppressed by the Roman government, right? And here are these Jews hearing this story and this incredible speaker, this, this man who's performing miracles at this time, and he's saying, the kingdom is coming. It is near. Would they be thinking about this Messiah and wondering, where is he at this point? When is he going to get here? Because the coming of the kingdom, you've got to have the Messiah with the kingdom. And he's preaching that people need to prepare. And all the while preaching this ministry, preaching, his ministry begins to grow. He's growing in popularity with the masses. And he's growing in infamy infamy with the leaders of the community. He's telling the leaders of the community, you are hypocrites oppressing your own people. And for the masses, he's healing them. He's feeding them. He's blessing their children. And they're flocking by the thousands to come and hear him speak. There's a lot about the kingdom and all of these miracles. But there's a lot of confusion about who he is. About whether or not he's the prophet or the Messiah. And at one point, there was even a group that actually came and tried to make him convinced of who he was. Tried to actually make him king by force. And he goes, that's not my plan he backs off, goes away, and isolates himself. But you can see, it's in this culture, it's at this time, that he's built these masses of people that are following. The, the, the government's being oppressed, the people are being oppressed by a foreign government. The, the rulers at that time really hate this guy. But people want to follow him. People definitely have issues with him. But he's a confrontational kind of a person, but at the same time, one who speaks a lot of love and a lot of truth. And so, in the midst of this confusion, during this time, we're going to pick up in Matthew 16, in a region near a city called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. I imagine this, Caesarea Philippi is a city next to these cliffs that sits in a valley. And a river runs through it. It's a beautiful city with an odd mixture of both Israelite architecture 
Greek architecture and Roman architecture. And as I, I envision that maybe Jesus is there with his disciples looking down from these cliffs at the city. Maybe having just been in or preached. And even some of those people in that city, maybe they have been ones that have heard Jesus preach. And so it's in this time of confusion that we pick up in verse 13. We're going to read through in pieces, but we're going to get our way to verse 27. Verse 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Pause there. The title of this sermon, if you're taking notes, is What Do You Know? But I'd say this first point, and I'm going to have multiple small ones as we go through this, is what he knows. He knows. He just declared, you are the Messiah. The Son of the living God. You are the Christ. The Messiah. The Savior. The King. The one we have been waiting hundreds, if not thousands of years, over a thousand years for. You're the one. What a declaration. To say that that's who he is. Peter's saying, I believe that you are the king who's going to establish a kingdom that's going to help us kick out the Romans and establish a physical kingdom. Because the Jews didn't understand that what he's trying to establish is a spiritual kingdom. Even Peter, I believe until Jesus actually was resurrected, he did not get that what Jesus was going to build was something spiritual, not something physical. So when he's saying, you're the king, you're the son of God, you are the Messiah, think what he's expecting. He's just seen him get thousands of people to follow him. Some have tried to make him a king by force. Is he thinking like, I'm just waiting for you to say the word, I will draw the sword, I will go to battle, I will fight for you, I will die for you, I'll do whatever you want, because I believe you are the Messiah. I don't know about you, but he, he believes it, he knows it, he's got the passion and the zeal that says, I'm willing and ready to go because I know who you are. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know it with an intensity like that? That He is the Son of God, the Holy One, the Messiah? Are you ready? As Peter's ready? I love Peter's zeal. Let's keep going. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned them. He warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The power of what he knows. I would title this point because he's He's saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. I am. This is the, one of the first real proclamations that Jesus is the Christ by anyone. And he goes, because of that faith, he goes, I know who you are. Right? You have John the Baptist who said it before, but this is one of his disciples. And he's telling him, he goes, I'm going to set on your shoulders, Peter, the foundations of the church. And then he he bestows upon him some of the most authority of any human being, second maybe only to Jesus himself. He says, whatever you bind, whatever you say, I'm going to uphold in my kingdom. Whatever you allow, I'm going to uphold in my kingdom. Right? He gives him this incredible, incredible authority. He goes, this... And this is the first time the word church is ever used in the Bible, by the way. It doesn't show up that many times in the New Testament, but this is the first time ever you see it in the Bible. And he says, on this church, right, or on this rock, I will build my church. And he's relating it immediately to the kingdom of God. If you're, in, if you're a part of his church, if you really are a part of his church, you are a part of his kingdom, Right? But he's saying, Peter, what you lay down is what I'm going to hold up in my church. That's an incredible amount of authority that comes from knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. For us, I look at it this way. I don't have the same level of authority that Jesus did, or that Peter did, right? Peter was given that specifically by Jesus. But you have authority with what you know and what you believe in Christ. Do you exercise that authority? Do you speak with authority when you talk about what God's Word says? Do you understand that you have been made, if you've been baptized in Christ, you've been made a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. In fact, you will judge angels. That's some authority right there. But thinking about what that means, what he knows gave him power. But Jesus still tells him, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. And I think he tells him that because he knows that Peter doesn't understand it all yet. He doesn't want to be made a king by force because that's not his plan. He gets that they don't fully get it yet. And that's why it says this. From that time on, in verse 20, 21, Jesus began to explain to, the, to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, 
chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The danger of what he thinks he knows. See, he thinks he knows that he's about to be a part of establishing this physical kingdom. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to be a part of establishing this physical kingdom. And then when he hears Jesus is going to die, he's like, well, how are you going to have a kingdom without a king? Never. This isn't going to happen to you. And Pete, Jesus rebukes Peter. And one gets rebuked and then he gets rebuked back. You know. But he, he tells him, he says, you are not thinking of me according to God's terms. You're thinking of me according to man's terms. You're thinking me of me as the world thinks of me, not as God thinks of me. You're trying to make me fit into your image of me and not how God thinks of me. Have you ever done that? I have. I've, I've put my perception of what I believe to be true because it's what I was always taught was true. You ever been taught something that was not exactly on point? Totally bought into it because everybody else believed it was true. All of the Jewish people and the culture and the time, you know what they expected? They expected that Jesus would come and bring a physical kingdom. That the Messiah would come and bring that. But that wasn't God's plan. And there are times in this world and things that can deceive us because we put our image under what we think God is actually saying. You know, Peter is stuck seeing through the lens of what he was taught and what he thought that he knew because other people had taught it to him. We can get into that same thing. For me, there's a couple wrong beliefs I've held at different times in my life. At one point, I, I really strongly believed, I said, you know what? I, I grew up kind of going to church and different things. I, don't, I know that I didn't become a real disciple of Jesus until I was 20. But I grew up going to church. But one of the things I believed was that as long as I was in love with someone, it was okay for me to have sex with that person. Because it was really about it being about love. And love is a powerful thing, and it is a good thing. And, and a lot of my community really believed that. It's the example I saw in my, uh, my parents' lives. It's the example I saw in a lot of people's lives. I had it confirmed to me by other people that I went to church with. Some would disagree, but there were others who were. And you know what I chose to see? I chose to see what I wanted to see. The convenient truth. Right? At times, I've chosen to see, and especially as prevalent in our community is, that a love of money and of possessions 
and a love of wealth is okay. But God says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You can't serve both God and money. You know, we are in a culture that loves material possessions, right? We, we judge people so often by what they have rather than who they are, right? What they do, we, we take a perception. They do this, well, they're this type of person. They do that. We judge them. We put them in a place. We don't see as God sees. With money, a love of money is not something that's okay in God's church or with God's people, right? I even had a wrong belief of what it took to get to heaven. I've been taught all my life that all I needed to do was just believe in Jesus and I would get myself there. And that was not true. That was not true. That's not what the scripture said. That's not what it said for hundreds and thousands of years. But it's become a prevalent teaching in America because of the Reformation and after that in the last couple hundred years. The the thought is, just believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Last 200 years, that's been taught. That didn't exist a thousand years ago. That's not according to God's word. And I saw it through a lens of what I wanted to see and what I'd been taught to see, but not actually what was there. And that's what Peter did too. And the challenge is, is that he became a friend who tried to misguide Jesus. We, people, I was misguided by my friends. Because they told me something that was slightly askew. My friends would have sent me to hell believing that they were helping me go to heaven. We've got to be sure that that is not true of us. Affirming things that is not on point with God's word. So when we look at what does he know, we've got to look at what do we do? What does he do with what he knows? Let's look at what Jesus says in verse 24. Tells him he's a stumbling block, right? He's thinking of the wrong way. Jesus says, then, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Jesus makes this odd statement, challenging those who would call themselves his followers. If you want to follow me, you've got to give up your life. Give up your life and all you hope to gain. And he says, and I will give you even more. Right? You want to save your life, then lose it. Peter expected a world. He had a view of God's kingdom that would come and remove the Romans and go take over the Roman Empire and spread throughout the world. 
right? A kingdom that would have no end. And that kingdom would do those things, but not in the way that Peter expected, right? He had to lose that vision to gain God's vision. He had to lose his life, and eventually, actually, Peter himself would die on a cross. I don't believe that Jesus is saying, everybody who follows me needs to die on a cross. We don't see that through the Scriptures. What he's saying is, you've got to bring your own device that's going to... You've got to die to self. A, a cross was used as an execution device to kill someone. He's saying, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to your sin. You've got to... You know, you've got to die to the, the sexual morality or the impurity. You've got to die to the greed, uh, of, to the adultery, to the slander, the hate, the anger, the rage, all of these things. You've got to die. You've got to forgive and let go of old hurts, right? To be able to make it. Because that old life doesn't hang on to those things. The new life doesn't hang on to those things. That's the old person. But he says, what can you gain? The whole world. You could gain the whole world, but what, what good is it? It's worthless, right? You know, what do people chase after in this life? They chase after money, right? Uh, they chase after relationships. Boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, the spouse, whether they call it husband hunting or wife you're going out and fishing for a wife. I mean, it's people who go and they, they trade their lives in God. I've seen people leave God for a relationship. Unwilling to trust that, you know what? God is going to be the best relationship of my life. Pursuing careers, because my career is the most important thing to me. I'm going to make sacrifices in my spiritual life to succeed in my career. We should never sacrifice our walk with God for anything in this world. Because you can gain the whole world in this life. You can be famous. You know, you can, you can make it to the NBA and lose your soul. You can be, win the Pulitzer Prize for writing. You could become exceptionally wealthy, the president of whatever company, and not make it to heaven. You could marry the most handsome man, literally the most handsome man on the planet, or the most beautiful woman in the world. You can't take them to heaven with you, unless they belong to the Lord. And still, then they're not yours when you get there anyways. Right? But... You know, we look at, at the scenario, what do we chase? And Peter's saying, or Jesus is telling Peter, you need to let go of your vision and get a hold of mine. You've got to let go of your vision and get a hold of God's vision for you in your life. Right? You've got to let go of the pursuit of money and wealth and pursue God with all of your heart. Some dreams, if they're going to sacrifice your walk with God, aren't worth dreaming and aren't worth having. And that's what Peter is being told by Jesus. He's going, let go of that vision and catch a hold of mine. That's what we got to do with what he had to do with what he knows. But my question is, what do you know? I hope you know that Jesus is the Messiah. 
You know, I pray that you can proclaim with zeal like Peter, knowing that he's the true Son of God, with the knowledge that comes, with that knowledge comes power. The power of what you know is immense. You see, Jesus told them to stay quiet, right? He said, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. He doesn't say that anymore. Matthew 28:18. Called to go to all nations, the whole world. Command and teach, instruct, let people know who I am. And so we don't the rocks are going to cry out at the end of days to proclaim who God is. We've got to be the people who we believe it. Speak with power about it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel that you have. Mark's version of this, he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you in this adulterous and sinful generation. Right? Let's not be ashamed of what we have. What we have is the power of salvation for mankind. Let's speak powerfully and boldly about it. Striving to have the relationships we need to have. Do I mean go stand on the rocks on Church Street and start preaching? No, but if you do, amen. Uh, You know, if you feel so moved by the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm not going to hold back the Holy Spirit. But, in the most effective way, as you go in your life, speak boldly and don't hold back. You know, there is danger to what you think you know. Right? Peter rebuked Jesus believing, Peter believing that he knew God's plan. He found himself on the side of Satan. Inadvertently working against God's plan because he followed the world's thinking, his family's thinking, rather than God's teachings. There are many people who believe many wrong things because they were taught by people they really trust. We need to be people who carefully examine God's scriptures. I don't have a problem if you question me. I have a problem if you don't question it. And dig into the scriptures and find out for yourself. Because it's got to be God's word that ultimately persuades and and helps you know him. It's going to be his word which will judge you at the last day. I will do my best, but I am a human being and I am flawed. I will say wrong things. And I will have wrong perceptions. And sometimes I'll have wrong advice. And I'll do wrong things. We should be careful of the dangers of what we think we know. Of the lens that we were taught to see things through. We live in a Western world 2,000 years away from this teaching. Examine carefully. Even think of how you have been taught wrong. Even our society has been taught wrong of what it takes to become a Christian. It takes much more than just a belief in Jesus to get there. We are saved by grace and we're saved by faith. However, we're also saved through obedience to God's word. And so when Peter says things, Peter, the man who has the keys to the kingdom in Acts 2 says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We must acknowledge, you know what? That's different than what I was taught. Maybe I should really consider 
Do I need to really repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins? Our culture would, in many places, will tell us no. Many friendly faces with loving hearts and open minds and loving hearts towards God will tell you that you don't need that. But God's word will tell you differently. I pray that we don't end up on the side of Satan to become a stumbling block for people. Even the good friends can be on the devil's side. So what do you do with what you know? If you know Jesus is king, it means give your life over. Trust him. Maybe you've forgotten recently. Maybe you've you've wandered or maybe you felt like I need to be more committed. We've got to you cannot pursue academics, your career, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, sports, your kids' sports, your family, above your commitment to God. If you do this, it's very likely that this life is all you have waiting for you. We've got to lose this life to gain much more. You can gain fame and fortune and excess at the expense of your soul. Nothing in this life will ever be worth it. The most beautiful woman, the most incredible man, the best job, our kids getting into school or going to college or getting great degrees or going and being in professional sports, none of that matters if they don't get to heaven. And the best way to get them to heaven is get yourself to heaven. Don't make sacrifices for that. When I knew Jesus, I knew I wanted to serve Him. When I knew I wanted to serve Him, I dug into His Word. I figured out what it meant. I got baptized. I committed myself to Him for the rest of my life. I was made a new creation. I pray and I hope that you answer this question for yourself. What do you know? And what will you do? Amen.